RadioInfluence.com. Football fans, it's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, T.J. Reeves. Here we go with yet another edition of the only digital radio show that is devoted to that little guy, the lesser known, the lesser thought of, the underdog. It is Three Dog Thursday. We are back in. I am your somewhat capable host. He is senior handicapper and writer, VegasInsider.com, Kevin Rogers. He's been shadow boxing over in the corner, ready to go with some more underdogs. How you feeling here as we get ready to wrap up February? Lots of conference play in college basketball in particular. How are things, sir? Good, good. You know, we're, gonna, we're learning a lot uh, about some of these teams that are separating themselves from the pack. Other teams trying to get into the pack. Other teams falling out of the pack. So really, uh, it depends on who you are, but you know, a lot of uh, a lot of interesting storylines. But one thing, you know, I've, I've noticed though is, you know, the, with a lot of this Joe Lenardi, you know, predictions of who going, who's going to the tournament. You know, I'm not big on, oh well, so and so is playing a five twelve. I don't care about that because that's just ridiculous. Uh, but as far as the amount of teams, it seems like about four leagues are going to monopolize a bunch of these bids, which I find very interesting. Well, and in most in most years, that is the case where you can say thirty teams, let's say, come out of four or five conferences. But it, it is really thin when you start looking at at-large down towards the bottom. So uh, in any event, um, uh, and I'm proud of you, by the way, because right now you don't have a bracket projection blog. You may be about the only person in the media that doesn't have one. I think there are now about 293 of them that are all trying to project and predict the bracket. I mean, I have a couple of go-to guys, and we'll probably get one of them on here coming up soon as part of Three Dog Thursday. Jerry Palm does a great job uh, blogging and predicting the bracket and has done so for the better part of about 15 years now with CBS and CBSSports.com. In fact, he's part of CBS's selection show and process with the blog uh, and with the bracket and and filling it all out. But, you know, I'm with you. The whole first four in, the 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 last four, you know, the last four in, the, the, the first four out, the next four out, and it all changes nightly and almost hourly like the stock market it is a little much to keep track of when you still got about three weeks to go before Selection Sunday. So a lot of basketball to be played. And one more note on that, by the way, conference play really begins to take its toll on some of these teams and some of these matchups. Tennessee finally had their 19-game win streak snapped by Kentucky. That was the big marquee game last Saturday night. Uh, the win by Kentucky. We saw on Sunday that the top team in the Big East, Villanova, was beaten by St. John's. And and St. John's now with a sweep of Marquette in the Big East and the win over Villanova helping themselves. And then you look at games like Maryland getting a huge win at Iowa. Those are two teams that are probably both in already, you would think. Uh, But Maryland really solidifies themselves with a road win. You, You chalk some of these things up to uh to conference play don't you kevin rogers in a conference play a lot of times records don't matter and and teams are vying to get themselves into the postseason and find a way to get wins maybe even on the road in games that they're not supposed to win yeah maryland really helped themselves with that victory because they had been going uh, a bit i don't say backwards but but they had been very choppy after a nice start in big 10 play and that was a game that they were up 11 with six minutes left and iowa came back and took the lead and then maryland had a tip in at the end to win it and, and what's funny about iowa is they started 0-3 in the big 10 and they went uh, i believe it was nine and two over the next 11 conference games before losing to the terrapins but also they had a shot to win that game and that would have been three consecutive games they would have won with a three-pointer in the final seconds because they had beat Northwestern, who they yep. shouldn't have. They beat Rutgers in that ridiculous three-pointer that <laughs> they painted from the corner. But, you know, Iowa still, they have 20 wins. They'll be in the tournament. Maryland will be in. The Big Ten will get uh, a lot of teams in. And, uh, you know, you mentioned some of these other teams that, uh, you know, St. John's helping themselves with the wins over Marquette and that nice comeback over Villanova on Sunday night. And St. John's, you know, they're a bit inconsistent at times. But, yeah, we're really going to see – several leagues get a bunch of bids like the Pac-12 it feels like whoever wins that tournament 
that's it. No one else is getting in because even Washington's not ranked. I mean, it, it, it's just amazing. And even the Americans going to get a few bids. Cincinnati's not ranked heading into Thursday's action, which is crazy to me. So, yeah, we're, we're really going to see uh, heavy ACC, SEC, Big Ten. We're going to see a lot of those teams from those conferences uh, be in the tournament. And uh, some conferences get just one bid. And that leads us to Wednesday night and the latest installment of Duke and North Carolina, Kevin Rogers. And I have often said sports is the ultimate reality TV show. There is no script. You never know what's going to happen. And who'd have thunk that Zion Williamson, the presumptive number one overall pick, one of the top college basketball players of the last decade coming out, would be involved in his first ever Duke North Carolina game and go down in the first 30 seconds with a blown out shoe that injures the opposite leg. He injures the right leg. It looked like it could have been a hamstring injury. They're saying it's his knee. He never returned and North Carolina never looked back to win the game. So first of all, your thoughts on this. I guess the first thing is how much did it take the wind out of Duke's sails for the final 39 minutes? No Zion Williamson. What's your opinion? Well, how about the people that spent $3,000 on tickets for this game? And uh, <laughs> number one pick ends up leaving 30 seconds. And I mean, obviously he had to leave. I mean, he didn't leave for, you know, for any other reason than that. But there's a, there's a lot of things that come out of this game. I mean, number one, you know, North Carolina is still the eighth-ranked team in the country. This isn't, you know, no disrespect, Wake Forest or Boston College going in there and beating them and saying, well, they beat them because Zion Williamson was there. Obviously, Duke would have played better if Zion played, but North Carolina still could have beat them with Zion in the lineup. So this North Carolina team is still a terrific team. So, you know, they still deserve a lot of credit. But, uh, you know, a couple of things on that. Obviously, you know, it totally deflated Duke. It's deflated the home crowd. It's just a killer there, you know, losing that game, you know, or losing him and then having to play the final 39 minutes. But, you know, I'm seeing a lot of stuff on social media, uh, you know, during the game, you know, people coming out, oh, well, you know, he should be done now. He shouldn't play again. Or, you know, he probably should have stopped playing earlier in the season. I think that's all crap, all of it. Because you know what? You're at Duke, and you sure. have an opportunity to win a championship. You know, why even play the entire season? If he was going to be the number one pick, why even play? Just sit out the whole year and just wait. But he wants to play. There's no problem with that. That's his choice. And you know what? I always go to this, TJ. So if he ends up doing the same exact thing in the first minute of the national championship game, should they say, well, he shouldn't have played in the championship. He shouldn't have done it. I mean, come on. Like, I mean, things happen. Yeah, and this and this Duke team has risen to number one, and you've got so much writing on the end of the year, and they're counting on him. Uh, you know, there, there's something to be said for that. Let's follow up on the whole point, because, again, social media going crazy Wednesday night that he should not play anymore you've got a point about that it involves Blake Griffin I've got another point about that but I get the feeling you you're poo-pooing that that if he is healthy enough to play at some point in the coming days coming weeks we don't know that while we're talking you believe he should be in there or what do you think obviously I mean needless to say it, I'll say it anyway it's tore his ACL he's done for the season so it doesn't matter you know but if this is some kind of low-grade sprain and he needs to sit out for a week or two just to recover, fine. But if he wants to continue and play and doesn't feel like it's going to hurt his future, then he should play. Like, that's up to him. It's his choice. And my point, I mentioned on Twitter, about Blake Griffin. Now, again, it's not, it's not exactly the same thing, but Blake Griffin was the number one pick with the Clippers. He got hurt in the preseason. And he ended up missing that whole year for L.A. Yep. He came back the next year and won Rookie of the Year, so he still was with the team. Now, if he's this guy tears ACL, he still should, or whatever, if it's a long-term injury, he still should be drafted pretty high. You stash him away, he's going to be 20 when he's recovered. It's not like he's done. People are making it out to be like, you're going to ruin your whole career. The guy's 18 years old. Like He's still going to end up being a fantastic player in the NBA whenever he goes. So, you know, there's so many, there's so much speculation on this that he could be out long-term. He may not be out long-term, but if he wants to continue playing at Duke for national championship, that's up to him. Yep. And again, the whole camaraderie teammates, that's a factor too on coming back to play while everybody's just deciding for Zion Williams that he shouldn't do it anymore. Uh, a couple of more points. Oh, let me, let me, sure. oh, let me interrupt you one second. Yep. Just because I saw this example too about, you know, you skip the Alamo Bowl because you want to get ready for the draft. 
I, that's totally understandable. You're not bailing on your team. You know, they're playing a meaningless game. Right. This guy's not playing meaningless games. If they go to the NCAA tournament, there's a chance at a championship at, at one of the elite programs in the country. So it's not the same thing. All right. So a couple of other references. Uh, Kenyon Martin, and I, and I love this part of it uh, because I was there when Kenyon Martin, who was the player of the year in 2000, Cincinnati, the number one team in the country, Bob Huggins, and Kenyon Martin broke his leg in the first half of the opening Conference USA tournament game that they were playing and could not play the rest of the year. It cost Cincinnati a number one seed. They eventually, I think, were a two or a three, ended up getting beaten in the second round. Without him, they weren't the same team. So Kenyon Martin went along in that offseason with a broken leg and eventually was still drafted number one that late June by the New Jersey Nets and ended up having a good NBA career, not a great NBA career. My point is that even the broken leg in college didn't stop him from being the number one pick, Kevin. That's probably the same thing for Zion Williamson down the road, depending on the injury. I mean, I agree with you, diagnosis by television. It did not look like a torn ACL. We don't have an official diagnosis. It's probably something where he may be out for a few games or a couple of weeks and could come back. And here's a Duke reference with this. Here's another one, Kevin. You'll remember this. Kyrie Irving, remember, injured his toe, his big toe, seriously uh, in his first season, his only season at Duke at the beginning of the year. He actually got himself healed, surgery on the toe, uh, rehabilitated, and then came back, remember, to play in the NCAA tournament. They ended up losing, but he he rehabbed, and a lot of people were going, wait a minute, what are you doing? He came back to play like basically a game or two, and they got eliminated, and then he goes on to the NBA and has had a fine career. I know he's had some injuries here and there, but he's had a fine career and helped uh, Cleveland win a championship, so there are reference points, is my point, to coming back to play or even still being the number one pick in the NBA, even if you are injured, so... I think uh, I think we've covered that part pretty well, have we not? Yeah, I, I think the I think the biggest issue is fans saying don't play anymore when it's like a it's not your choice and b what does it matter to you if he wants to go out there and play? I mean, there are guys that can you know go an entire like I mean I'll just throw this example out. I mean even like Tom Brady. Tom Brady was never hurt. He tears his ACL the first week of the season in two thousand eight. When he has a helmet to the knee, is he injury prone? He should never play again. Like it's just like things happen. Yep. Things happen. Guys get hurt and they rehab and they come back. Like it's as simple as that. Like his life isn't ruined. His M- his career potentially the NBA isn't ruined. His career Duke may not be ruined depending on how everything goes. So I just hate the notion of you know why why is he still playing? Like he should sit out. Like this is a bad message to send. And this is this is my only PSA. This is a bad message to send. Like, if you're any athlete, like, just don't play. Just sit out. Just be careful because anything can happen. When you're playing the sport, anything can happen, but you can't just be cautious all the time. But then it's okay. Let's just say if he gets drafted number one by the Knicks and he plays the first game and he tears ACL, so that's okay because now he's in the NBA. Like, it, it's right. so, like... He's eventually, look, he's eventually going to make a couple of hundred million dollars. Seriously, legitimately, over the course of his NBA career, shoe deal, stuff off the court, he's going to make a couple of hundred million dollars. It's ridiculous. So it's just a matter of when. One more point on this. How much does it open up the ACC? You touched on a little while ago, North Carolina. Let's don't sell them short. Uh, I mean, they've played really well. How in the world did Louisville beat them that bad at Carolina? Go figure earlier in January because they now avenged that that loss. They have been rolling. They looked good. I know Zion Williamson wasn't in there. They got every basket they wanted to on the inside in this game. But the top of the ACC with Virginia, with your Knowles, uh, with uh, with Duke, a question mark without Zion Williamson for a few games. The top of the ACC opens up. The ACC tournament opens up, and North Carolina deserves a lot of of uh, accolades and a lot of consideration now about how good they can be. One more thought on that, please. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this, and this sounds so terrible to say, but the biggest winner of uh, of this injury, and again, we're not we're just saying it just from our talking standpoint, is Virginia. That Virginia lost to Duke twice. They had a lot of problems with them. If this guy is out for a while and Virginia drew Duke in the ACC tournament, now at least that's a huge advantage for them because they had problems with them. And, I mean, I still even was talking about Virginia for a moment that I just think they got a bad matchup last year against UMBC. It just was a terrible matchup in the 116. They played the worst game they could ever play. 
I think Virginia will make another run. Carolina's obviously loaded. Florida State's playing well. I think Florida State's kind of beefed up a little bit on some cupcakes over this winning streak. But, yeah, it definitely opens things up in the ACC. It definitely opens things up for a, a new number one seed if Duke falls back. And, it's you know, if people want the great Final Four with, with Zion Williamson potentially there, but if he, for some reason, isn't there, now it's really wide open, so it'll be really interesting. Yeah, no doubt about that. So, again, a big win on Wednesday night for North Carolina, 88-72 in that matchup with Duke. And so with that out of the way, that leads us now to prediction time for the Thursday night games. You were referencing just a few minutes ago that, uh, that look, in the Pac-12, uh, are they going to get more than one team? I guess the theory is that maybe if Arizona State continues to rock along, maybe they're an at-large team. But if Arizona State goes on and wins the automatic bid, it's not going to be them. So we're going to look at the Pac-12 uh, as the show unfolds. Uh, but, but, you know, by the same token, the American conference, are they going to get three teams, probably three? I don't know that they get a fourth team and you and I are also going to delve into the American conference a little bit here as part of the predictions. But yes, it's, uh, yeah, it's very top heavy ACC, SEC, big 10, big 12, big East is definitely going to get three may end up getting a fourth or even a fifth. Because, again, you got to remember, you could have a couple of quality wins on the neutral floor at Madison Square Garden, and that could make somebody's resume. And we don't know that, Kevin, until these conference tournaments begin. But if somebody like a Seton Hall uh, that's on the fringe, let's say in the Big East, or, or pick somebody in the Big 12 like TCU, for example, could solidify themselves even more by winning a couple of neutral floor games. The same could be true, like let's say, of Alabama or Florida in the SEC tournament that's coming in Nashville. You can help, just a quick comment, you can really help yourself over the span of about 48 hours in a conference tournament by getting a couple of neutral floor wins, and we don't know that right now until a few weeks from now. Yeah, I think it's kind of cheap, you know, that, you know, it's one thing if you run the table in three or four days and you win the tournament because you're asked to win the tournament and you get a bid because of that, but to win two games and then lose and that gets you in the tournament, you should have done your, you should have done your work before in the regular season. That's all, that's kind of how I feel that, uh, you know, you shouldn't be 18 and 14 or something and then win two games in two days and all of a sudden now you're a tournament team, like that got you over the hump, so... That's just my opinion. But, you know, we've seen teams that run the table, which yep. is totally fine because yep. Yep. they give out bids if you win tournaments. But, you know, to give out a bid for winning a few games in a few days and not winning it, I, I think it's kind of cheesy. We saw UConn very famously 2010, five wins in five days at the Big East Tournament and then went on to win the national title with Kimball Walker. They were on the verge of not being in the NCAA tournament at all. And in the span of about 96 hours in New York, rocked their way into the NCAA tournament on an automatic bid. Incredible five-day performance. And then they go ahead and win the whole thing. So it's what makes March great, that's for sure. All right, let's turn to the games uh, tonight. And again, our task on Three Dog Thursday, come up with three underdogs each. Again, the same issue uh, as Kevin and I are doing the show. We only have access to the Thursday lines right now in college basketball, not even to the Friday lines, much less the Saturday ones. We will project in the final segment uh, coming up a couple of Saturday games that we think where there may be an underdog, we may like somebody. But right now, we know some definite underdogs on Thursday night. So Kevin... Kevin, where do you want to begin here with an underdog uh, to start things off on this edition of the program? Well, I guess uh, we'll start with UConn. Like you mentioned, with them making a run a few years ago, they had a couple titles, you know, in this uh, in this decade, and we'll, we'll go with them. Uh, they're playing SMU, and you know, the line scares me a little bit. UConn opens about a six-point underdog against the Mustangs, but this seems more of a fate of SMU than really backing UConn. Now, UConn has covered eight of their last 10 games, so they've actually played well uh, inside the conference. They are 0-6, though, on the road mm. against the Americans, so I have to mention that. I'm not just going to say, oh, all this positive stuff without mentioning the negative. They did blow on SMU at home earlier this uh, in conference play, so they have they have dominated them once. SMU is only 1-7 in their last eight games. The only one came against Tulane, who hasn't beaten anybody yet in the conference, so really being too lame is not that big of a deal because everyone's done it. But it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's one of those, like, why is this number that heavy when these teams are kind of even and SMU has been terrible? But at the same time, I'm not going to back them. I'm just not. And UConn has, has shown that, that they have played well recently. We'll see if they can break through on the road. It's been a problem for them. But I'm going to go. And, and I also another caveat, too, that 
I know UConn has picked up a couple ATS covers against UCF and against, uh, I believe it was Memphis. Those two where they were losing, they had no business covering, and they scored some late baskets to cover, so that, that helped pad their ATS record a little bit. But I'm, I'm just going to take the points of UConn against SMU. little American Conference action, and of course, Danny Hurley, the coach at UConn in his first season, the proud program with those national titles that you're talking about. Uh, you know, and again, the uh, the 2014 national title win was kind of the same thing with Shabazz Napier and that crew. They came on in March the same way. That you're not saying that for UConn, but you're saying in this individual spot, keep an eye on them against SMU in the conference now in the American Conference that has Houston, that has Cincinnati, that has Temple. How about Temple winning a game on the weekend against USF where they hit a free throw to take the lead with just a couple of seconds left? They got fouled in the final couple seconds they hit one of two free throws to take the lead and then usf threw the ball the length of the floor and got fouled as the player was catching the ball length of the floor kevin that almost never gets called it got called saturday night in tampa so usf now at the line shooting two one to tie two to win miss miss and temple gets the rebound and gets a road win against a usf team that had been rolling along up until that point um and they complete the season sweep. So Temple may be a fringe NCAA tournament team as well, is my point in the American Conference. Keep an eye on that. Houston only one loss this entire season uh, going into play for this midweek. And then uh, on the weekend, Kelvin Sampson's got them rocking along. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that conference. You mentioned the Pac-12 earlier, and that's where I'm going to go with my underdog. This is one of those games, and we talk about it during the football season and here, Kevin, where I'm trying to figure out why is this team favored? Why is Southern Cal in this instance at home with Oregon favored? I know it's probably the home court as much as anything. You defer to the home court. But this is a Southern Cal team that, yes, they beat a bad Cal team uh, back on the weekend badly at home but before that had lost three games in a row and four of five Oregon trounced them in the earlier meeting this year the Oregon Ducks they're now getting points Oregon again has not got an at-large case right now in the NCAA tournament they did play a decent schedule but they don't have enough quality wins still this Oregon team has won three of its last actually four of its last six coming into this they did lose to rival Oregon State on the weekend, but now they're playing USC at USC. Rematch game, won easily at home. I will take the Ducks here and the two and a half points against Southern Cal. It puzzles me that that game that I'm getting points because I think Oregon's going to win the game outright. So I'll go ahead and take advantage of that in the Pac-12. And Oregon is one of those teams that more than likely they've got to have the automatic bid. Not even winning a couple of team games on the neutral floor in Vegas is going to help them. Um, and, and remember, they were a Final Four team a couple of years ago uh, with Dylan Brooks and company. So Oregon Ducks, I will take as my as my other underdog. But just as a general comment, sometimes these lines are close. I mean, we saw a Clemson-Florida State game earlier in the week, and I was talking about this on the Three Dog Thursday morning minute that we do for Alexa or for your Echo Dot. Uh, you can subscribe and, and jump on in your flash briefings to the Three Dog Thursday morning minute all week. Kevin, leading into that Florida State game on Tuesday night, I said, I don't understand why they're an underdog at Clemson. But as a general comment, I guess sometimes in conference play, if it's close enough, you're going to defer to the home team, right, generally? Well, also in that situation, too, Florida State beat Clemson and Tallahassee. Now they're a dog the second time around where, you know, sometimes the better team's a dog, you know, and not every single time is the better team the favorite. So that's kind of, you know, got to be the thinking there that, that you can just automatically say, oh, well, this team is favored, so there must be better. And, you know, it's a very tough game, that Oregon-USC game. And, you know, USC's had their problems on the road this year. They've been better at home, but also they've had some problems recently at home as well, you know. So losing to Utah using the, and uh, losing to uh, Colorado, so we'll see if they get back on track. But, uh, yeah, it's just the problem with the Pac-12 is all these teams, except for Washington, and I guess Cal, all of them have been so inconsistent this whole season. Tough to figure. Uh, again, Washington started in the conference at 10-0, and 0, 
But, uh, you know, again, as you said, that doesn't necessarily guarantee anything for them. All right, Kevin, stand by. A couple more underdogs for each of us, including I think Kevin's going to go with another Pac-12 underdog a little bit later on in the show. One thing to keep an eye on is free throw shooting. And we've got a guest on that's going to be coming up uh, from the website CBB Today. Does a great job talking and writing about college basketball. Matt Zimmick will be talking free throw awareness. And he may even have an underdog or two for us coming up as part of Three Dog Thursday. You stay with us. Three Dog Thursday brought to you in part by Paradise Golf. Go to paradise-golf.com slash football. Find out more about how you can save half off up to a $55 value off the Winter Paradise card. If you're coming to West Central Florida to golf, if you're a snowbird, this card basically pays for itself within two times of you playing. Go to paradise-golf.com slash football. Sign up and save with Paradise Golf. Dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is TJ Reeves. Yeah, we are back in on the only digital radio show that is devoted exclusively to underdogs. It is Three Dog Thursday, and I have been waiting for this opportunity to get back in touch with Matt Zimmick, who does a fantastic job running on a lot of sports, but specifically college hoops. He is He and I are kindred spirits here about the college basketball season and now how it's cranking towards March. And Matt writes for CBBToday.com. Great website, CBBToday.com, operated by Joseph Nardone. And uh, Matt helps contribute there. Um, And and I love uh, his work, his analysis, in particular when we get to free throw shooting coming up in a little bit. Uh, he is the he is the head of what is it again, Matt? As we bring you in the the council here involving free throw shooting. I am the unofficial, unelected president of the American Free Throw Advisory Board. <laughs> so more on that. The hashtag is Free Throw Awareness Month. That is coming. Free Throw Awareness Month. We'll see how that uh, how that plays out. Uh, upcoming upcoming with. Uh, with foul shooting and, and whatnot. Hey, one note before we get to all of that. Um, the conference play, I was just talking about it with Kevin Rogers from VegasInsider.com. Look at what conference play does in leveling things off, uh, including St. John's with a huge win over Villanova on the weekend, which solidifies their NCAA tournament hopes in Big East conference play. How about a Maryland Tuesday night last-second win against Iowa, which helps their hopes for the NCAA tournament and their seeding. Uh, you just chalk things up to conference play. I mean, Ole Miss goes to South Carolina and gets whacked in conference play in the SEC. Welcome to conference play, Matt Zimmick. Well, you know, in terms of that leveling off effect that you mentioned, TJ, it's not it's apparent nowhere else more than in the SEC where you have LSU, Kentucky, and Tennessee as the top three teams in some order. And then you basically have seven teams that could all be in the first four in Dayton, really. I mean, you, you, it's hard to distinguish Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Florida, Arkansas, Alabama, South Carolina. I mean, you know, some teams have a few more wins than the others, but they're all in that huge jumble of teams. And then you have the bottom four, Missouri, A&M. Uh, Vanderbilt and Georgia. So, I mean, just basically the SEC has like seven teams that could all be like number 11 seeds. And it's really hard to to choose from those seven. And, and a few of them, um, you know, are going to be doing battle uh, this Saturday. And we're going to talk about that. But that that's certainly the leveling off effect uh, of conference play, where just teams trade haymakers with each other and knock each other up uh, over the course of the season. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, they cannibalize each other. It, it, it is happening all over college basketball. So uh, welcome. Welcome to the end of February and uh, and what will happen in the month of March. Um, all right, so uh, let's let's get into a little bit here some of those different conference games. And uh, I, I know for Three Dog Thursday purposes, you kind of took a look at the Thursday slate and the Pac-12. I, I know you're based in the West. The Pac-12, we're shaking our head. Now, I know I took the Oregon Ducks, that being said, 
uh, to to cover against and to win the game outright at Southern Cal on Thursday night. But that that's a situation where Oregon is basically going to have to win the automatic bid, aren't they? I mean, there, there's numerous teams in the Pac-12 that are in the same boat, whether you're talking about Arizona State or maybe even Washington. There's no real strong at-large case, and you're not going to get there by beating conference teams. You're going to have to go ahead and win the automatic bid in that Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, Washington's the one team that is assembling a case strong enough to be an at-large team. But even then, Washington still needs to finish out these next few weeks of the regular season strong. Uh, you know, Washington can't lose three more games. That, that's not going to do it. But if Washington does finish 17-1 and in the 18-game Pac-12 regular season, which it could do, and then it at least wins its first game, its quarterfinal and the Pac-12 tournament, you know, that probably would be enough. But if, if Washington does get on a little two- or three-game mini-losing streak, that would be enough to knock Washington uh, not not off the bubble, but, but to the bad side of the bubble or at the very least to the middle of the bubble such that it would have to get some serious work done uh, in the Pac-12 tournament and very possibly uh, win the Pac-12 tournament to get in. So Arizona State is, is in a – Somewhat interesting position, but the Sun Devils need to sweep a road swing. And I keep talking about these two-game road swings because this is how the Pac-12 schedule works. It's different from how other schedules work. You know, in the ACC, there's really not like a set system where Team A plays at North Carolina on Thursday and plays at Duke on Saturday. I mean, that will happen once in a while but it's not systematized the way it is in the Pac-12. In the Pac-12, you play the two Oregon schools two or three days apart during the same week. You play the two Washington schools two or three days apart. So there's a swing. And so Arizona State has not yet swept one of these various road swings, and it gets only one more chance, not this week, but later, later on uh, at the Oregon schools. If Arizona State can't sweep the Oregon schools on the road, it will have no road swing sweeps for the whole season, and it's going to be really hard to make an at-large case based on that. Yep, very true. So watch out for that tournament that is coming in Las Vegas. Uh, and look, the Pac-12 had a, a Colorado team play their way in with a losing record, winning four games in four days at the Staples Center in L.A. back a few years ago. So you've seen some wild things that can go on in March. That's why, why we love it this time of year. And again, Dana Altman's team was in the Final Four a couple of seasons ago at Glendale Stadium in Arizona. You and I were both there uh, covering that Final Four. Me for tune in. You in previous uh, broadcast and, and, and writing duties for Fan Rag Sports, et cetera, et cetera. So Oregon is just two years removed from being in the Final Four and doesn't really have an at-large case. I know that uh, the late Minute Bowl's son, Bowl Bowl, getting injured earlier in the year really damaged them uh, too for uh, for the purposes of at large and Pac-12, but we'll see. I, I like Oregon in that in that matchup Thursday night against USC. And again, as I always put for the disclaimer, you may hear us, Kevin and me, or in this case Matt and me, talking about games that have already been played and going, "Why is this idiot going on and on about Oregon? They got beat by 15, Matt Zimmick by Southern Cal. Why do you keep talking about them?" So uh, we'll see. But I like the Ducks going into that game uh, for for Thursday night. Um, okay, so before we get to Saturday, let's talk a little bit more um, about uh, free throw awareness. I've already touched on this in the first segment of the show, the USF finish with Temple, Matt, and you're aware of what happened at the Yingling Center in Tampa. And, I, and full disclosure, I used to do the Bulls games on the radio uh, in the Tampa Bay area and on the Bulls radio network for 10-plus years, the Seth Greenberg years in particular. You see Seth now on the ESPN TV. I saw a lot of heartbreaking losses a lot of different ways. I never did one where there was a bull at the foul line, down one, shooting two free throws with less than a second left, could tie the game or win the game or lose the game, and they and the player misses both free throws. But it happened for USF with a miss and a miss. Temple gets the win. Thank you very much. And free throw awareness month is coming, my friend. you got to watch out for the foul shots. Well, the mantra of National Free Throw Awareness Month, TJ, is friends don't let friends miss front ends. <laughs> that, 
that is our gospel here. And for, for Free Throw Awareness Month, this is the month when a burnt end is not a tasty piece of barbecued meat. It's missing a front end of a one and one which can cost you an NCAA tournament win, cost you a conference tournament win, which gets you into the field. That's a lot of dollars. That's a very expensive burnt end. So Bill Raftery, who is the inspiration for National Free Throw Awareness Month, he said during a UCLA-Cincinnati NCAA tournament round of 32 game in 2002 in Pittsburgh, he said during that CBS broadcast, free throws can destroy a family. So we are here to raise awareness about the cost of a missed free throw, especially at this time of year. National Free Throw Awareness Month oh, in America. Oh, and there's teams. There's you know, it's interesting when you look right now. Again, the hashtag is Free Throw Awareness Month. Matt's going to be using that on his social media at Matt Zimmick. I'll even be tagging it uh, as well as we go along on my social media at Buck Sideline Guy. You can follow me at Buck Sideline Guys. I broadcast for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I love college basketball, so I'll use that hashtag Free Throw Awareness Month as well. Hashtag FT Awareness Month is our is our hashtag. But you look right now, I mean, I'm looking at the most recent NCAA statistics uh, that were updated as of Monday. And uh, look, I I know a couple of programs that you probably haven't heard of are the top two free throw shooting teams in the country. Incarnate Word is one of those, shooting 80.6% is the top team. Hofstra is number two. But listen to some of the teams that are in the top 20 that you might have heard of that are having good seasons. Ole Miss, eighth in the country in foul shooting. Louisville, uh, 10th in the country in foul shooting. Tennessee, 13th in the country. Free throw shooting. Gonzaga is 14th. LSU is 17th uh, in the nation um, in free throw shooting and all of those are likely NCAA tournament teams. Marquette, I may have left out Marquette. Marquette is ninth in that group too. So those are teams that are doing it really well, but here are teams to keep your eye on uh, down near the bottom out of the 300 plus teams uh, that are vying for NCAA tournament hopes. Arkansas 310 Matt Zimmick in foul shooting 66.3%. Baylor is probably, uh, they got an at-large case. They're 312. Kansas State right behind them in the Big 12, 313 in free throw shooting. What in the world is going on uh, with Wisconsin, who's an NCAA tournament team? They've got the win over Michigan earlier this year. Only 65% at the line, Matt Zimmick. 326 in the country in free throw shooting. I mean, it destroys families. It destroys March dreams. It destroys winning games. Free throw awareness month. Well, certainly when you look at a team such as Indiana, I mean, Indiana is well down there uh, in terms of free throw shooting. And Indiana is now 4-11 and in the Big Ten. And, and even with the wins over Marquette, Michigan State, and Louisville, you know, the three prime wins, that, that few, few teams in the country have, have three high-end wins as good as those. You know, Indiana should have been a slam dunk to get into the tournament. But at 4-11 and 11 in the Big Ten, that's just not going to get it done. And, and certainly a number of game, close games, uh, including Indiana's game Tuesday night at home against Purdue, which oh. is lost by two points. Oh. Hoosiers left some points at the foul line there. And, and they've been doing it in other close games, and it eventually adds up. And so that is exactly how free throws can destroy a family. Uh, Indiana, by the way, 3-15 as of Monday. 3-15 is a good time of day. Matt Zimmick in the afternoon. 315 is not good to be ranked for free throw shooting purposes. Uh, You don't want to be ranked 315. And you mentioned that Purdue game with Indiana. My God. I mean, was it 2019 or was it 1979 with a game that finished 48-46 that had a shot clock and a three-point shot? What what in the name of Bobby Knight against Gene Cady from the 70s was that on, uh, on Tuesday night in the Big Ten? Purdue needed it on the road. And they got the they got the victory, but that was the the late Southern humorist Louis Grizzard, comedy writer, newspaper columnist, huge sports fan. He used to call it uglier than a bowling shoe. That game was uglier than a bowling shoe. Uh, for my my term for it is root canal basketball, uh, and uh, and uh, you know the if only we could go back to 1993 TJ and see Calvert Chaney and big dog Glenn Robinson, you know, that's when Indiana and Purdue was can't miss television, but this was, uh, uh, you know, punk puncture your eyes out with a fork television. Uh, so, 
you know, at Purdue won that game on the road despite a shooting lineup, and I might be off like one or two. Oh, I'm looking right here, at it. Go Purdue, ahead, I'll help you. Go Purdue's ahead. Slash line, I believe, field goals, free uh, three pointers, and free throws was something like 31, 20, and 44. <laughs> You're on it. Yes, exactly. They were 31 percent from the floor, 20 percent from three, and four of nine only from the foul line, and won the game when uh, when Harms on the road. tipped it. On won, the road. Tipped it in and won the game 48-46. And you mentioned Indiana missing free throws. Free throw awareness month. They were 11 of 18 at home at Assembly Hall, including a couple of late misses. In a two-point game. In a a two-point game. This is this is how they can destroy a family. So keep it. Duke, by the way, though, too, not a not a great free throw shooting team. They're in the 250s right now for all the accolades and how good they are. They're in the 250s. We mentioned Tennessee in the top five uh, in the rankings is in the top 20 in free throw shooting. So uh, in any in any event, uh, yes, uh, free throw shooting and free throw awareness month. And again, for the audience, uh, stay with us on the hashtag FT Awareness Month. Matt and I will be use, using that. Feel free to join in. Stay with him at Matt Zimick on Twitter, and stay with me at Buck Sideline Guy because we're going to have some rolling out some free throw awareness merchandise coming for March in your school's colors, uh, including a design. If you visualize this, what is it, Matt? That is January. February, Free Throw Awareness Month, April. It's that simple. Be aware of making the free throws, right, my friend? Because vigilance saves lives and reduces blood pressure levels for fan bases all over the country. Yeah, and and Free Throw Awareness Month is coming. Okay, it is Three Dog Thursday, and Matt Zimmick's got his eyes on a couple of Saturday games where we believe we know who the underdog will very likely be. Uh, in a couple of these matchups, and it's not necessarily top 25 games. Give me a game or two that you've got your eyes on for Saturday and uh, and why, even though we don't have the lines in front of us, so we don't know for sure about underdogs. That doesn't come until Friday afternoon, but if you're listening to us later on in the weekend, a couple of Saturday games that you're saying keep an eye on, please? Yeah, so Saturday, but first of all, Saturday is a great slate, oh. and Saturday in particular is going to stand out because the noon Eastern 9 a.m. Pacific games, which are usually snoozers, this Saturday they are elite games. And Tennessee LSU is going to be one of those noon Eastern games on Saturday. So most people are going to be watching that one in Baton Rouge. But during that same window, same time window, you have Texas at Oklahoma. It's going to be a vital game for Oklahoma to win, Oklahoma being right on the bubble for the NCAA tournament. And I, you know, I would suspect that Texas might be like a one or a two point favorite, but let's say it's a pick or let's say Oklahoma is even favored by one. I think the casual fan or the casual sports better is going to enter that game thinking that Texas should be the favorite because Oklahoma is four and nine in the big 12 and has beaten only one team outside the state of Oklahoma, that being TCU in Big 12 play. So I think that the casual sports fan, casual college basketball fan is going to be high on Texas. Uh, but I think this is a time for Oklahoma, which has not been very good at home, uh, to rise up in a rivalry game and finally you know, play well enough on offense to win a game. Uh, Oklahoma's offense has been really hard to watch this year. Senior Christian James, who was part of the 2016 Final Four team as Buddy Heald's ballet, uh, you know, he hasn't blossomed into the kind of player Ron Kruger and the Sooners were hoping for, but he's begun to reemerge a little bit. He played well against TCU last Saturday. So I think that Oklahoma has a home win uh, against a team outside the state of Oklahoma. I think the Sooners are capable of winning that game, and I think they are going to win that game. So that, that's one. All right. And then later on, later on Saturday, uh, uh, late afternoon, early evening, 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, you have South Carolina at Mississippi State. South Carolina is a fascinating story. Five and eight in non-conference play, lost to Stony Brook, mm. lost to Wyoming. <laughs> Wyoming is six and twenty on the season. So South Carolina probably torched its NCAA at-large hopes. A little more on that in a bit. But the the Gamecocks are now fourth in the SEC. Uh, at this late stage in SEC play, so they're in position to get the number four seed and a double bye into the quarterfinals of the SEC tournament. And that, and that really shows that after the top three in the league, LSU, Kentucky, Tennessee, that the, the middle tier of the SEC has not been as strong as people thought it was going to be. You know, talking about those seven, 11 caliber seeds. 
uh, you know, all would be worthy of the first four and not really that much better. So South Carolina is part of that mix. And if South Carolina can get on a run, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if South Carolina can get on a run and win like six more games before Selection Sunday, that is not an at-large candidacy to completely dismiss. You know, we talk about teams, TJ, that play their way off the bubble. South Carolina still has enough time, although it's growing short, but South Carolina still has enough time to play its way on to the bubble. But it just it, the margin for error, of course, is what's really small, and that's the big enemy of the Gamecocks. But so as you look at this game at Mississippi State, Mississippi State's played well recently. Um, South Carolina has a lot more urgency here uh, than the Bulldogs do. The Bulldogs look fairly solid for an NCAA bid, and I say that having, you know, as we record this podcast, we don't yet know what Mississippi State did at Georgia right. Wednesday evening. Should assuming, win, assuming, should win, right, but we don't know. Yeah, but it, so if Mississippi State wins that game against Georgia, which would be favored to do, you know, Mississippi State would enter this game looking pretty solid for an NCAA bid. But South Carolina, on the other hand, you know, has to win almost every game it plays to have any re- slight chance of an at-large bid. So because of that reason, and also because South Carolina has been shooting the bejesus out of the ball recently, 49 of 88 on threes in its last four games. So you can do the quick math and deduct that that deduce that that's over 50%. And you can also deduce that South Carolina is making roughly 12 three-pointers a game. So South Carolina is really hot, has more on the line, more at stake. So I'm going to take South Carolina to win outright at Mississippi State Ooh, on Saturday. At the hump, a tough place to play. Of course, Kentucky went in there and won uh, recently. And yeah, there's there's been some amazing um, uh, play in the SEC uh, with some upsets and South Carolina handling Ole Miss on Tuesday night as part of that. And to your point, Mississippi State is 26 in the net in the NCAA net rankings. The rest of their opponents after that in the regular season are Alabama 53 in the net, at Missouri 93 in the net rankings, at Texas A&M 79 in the net, and then they finish with Georgia at home. South Carolina does 123 in the net. This is, my point, the most significant game they're playing down the stretch need to win it it's on the road you can get the committee's attention uh, because right now south carolina's 84 in the net they need to move up with some wins this would yeah. help them this would help this them this is a must have really in, when, in when you game. i hadn't looked at i hadn't looked at the whole schedule so given those not so great opponents this is a must have and really all those other games are must haves as well so south carolina really needs to find at least at least 6 wins you know including the sec tournament uh Gamecocks might not be able to afford anything more than one loss uh, for their at-large candidacy over the next three weeks. And maybe they can't afford a loss at all. They could be teetering right now on the cliff, as I like to say, hanging by their fingernails and fall over. Yeah. But but another factor, too, just real quick, and I know we got to go in just a second, as Matt Zimmick joins me on the Three Dog Thursday podcast. When you're talking about underdog teams, we were talking about Oregon earlier, or St. John's getting these huge wins in the Big East, or this South Carolina team. If you do damage on the neutral floor, uh, in a conference tournament, in a span of 36 or 48 hours, you can improve your resume tremendously with a couple of out-of-conference neutral floor wins. It's not everything, but you can help yourself. And South Carolina may be in that position because of how good the SEC is to do that. We'll see. Well, well and, and a key detail there, you know, South Carolina is in line to be the number four seed and yep. get a double bye. So that's it. that's important because – you don't want to be the five seed in a conference tournament. Why? Because if you're the five seed, you have to play the 12 or the 13 seed in a preliminary game. So playing that not very good opponent drags down your internal uh, computer numbers. Whereas if you're a four and you play a five seed, you know, a decent team, that's going to improve your numbers. So there's value for South Carolina in, in that. Also, there's value for South Carolina in terms of if, you're, if you get the double buy. You just need three wins instead of four to get the automatic bid. So that's that's really the main reason South Carolina really needed needs that number four seed of the SEC tournament. All good points. Again, we let Matt Zimmick uh, plug away here. Where are we finding you, sir? Social media, otherwise, including free throw awareness. Go. So I so I'm at Matt Zemick. My, just my, my name, no space, no underscore uh, on Twitter. You can find me there while I promote all my work and my main. Uh, 
college basketball work is done at cbbtoday.com, the Twitter handle cbbtoday. And yes, I work for Joseph Nardone, Nardone with a silent E at the end. Uh, Otherwise, his name sounds exactly how it's spelled on Twitter. So uh, proud to be helping out Joe and his shop over there. And you'll want to follow cbbtoday.com for complete coverage of conference tournaments. Great championship site. week, yep, yep. championship fortnight, and the NCAA tournament in the Final Four and of in course, Minneapolis. And in of April. course, you and I are all about Free Throw Awareness Month, the hashtag for the fans, FT Awareness Month. And we've got merchandise involved with this for your school colors. Who's going to, and we're going to have discounts and offers. We're all about it in March for Free Throw Awareness, brother. I'm looking forward to it, Matt Zimmick, with all this. Thank you for hanging out on the Three Dog Thursday podcast, sir. Thanks for having me. And on March 1st, if you're following me on Twitter, you get the full Free Throw Awareness Month Free Throw Advisory Board keynote address. Yeah, we are back in once more. Talked a lot about free throw shooting and much more with Matt Zimmick uh, there a little while ago. And I, I made reference uh, as we bring Kevin Rogers, Senior Handicapper, VegasInsider.com, back in with me on Three Dog Thursday. We made reference to that USF Temple game and missing free throws at the end. Uh, so many times uh, down the stretch of the season, foul shooting so important. It is not the only factor, but it, it opens it opens the door for upsets to happen if you're not going to make them at the line. Uh, you know, we were talking about Houston earlier in the show. You you think about the the famous, God almighty, it's now 35-year-old upset, actually 36-year-old upset by NC State over Phi Slamma Jamma in Houston. The, the reason the Cougars opened the door with Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler for NC State to upset them, Kevin, going all the way back, they couldn't make foul shots. Akeem bricking them, Drexler bricking them, a couple of other guys missing them, and it eventually led to the Derek Wittenberg. He still claims it's a, it's a shot to the late Lorenzo Charles, who grabbed the ball. He claimed it was a pass. It, it, it was a shot and dunked it in. But my point is, free throw shooting opened the door. Poor free throw shooting will open the door in those kind of situations if you don't make them. Yeah, and there's a lot of pressure there. There really is. And I'll give you a, a quick 20-second uh, story here yep. about that. Uh, at, when I was at Florida State, I was at the game that they beat Duke in 2001, right. I believe. They were Jason number Williams. one, right? Duke was number one that yep. night, I think. Yes. Jason Williams, Mike Dunleavy, Carlos Boozer, that, uh, that Duke team. And that was Jason Williams, I think, was AP Player of the Year, perhaps, but he could not make a free throw to save himself. He was bricking free throws every which way, and it kept Florida State in the game. And it's just he's the best player, you know, in the country, and, and he's shooting 65% of the free throw line. And it really is amazing that in that crunch time, you really see, you know, guys that uh, the pressure gets to them. Well, and another one along these lines as we talk about free throw shooting, and I promise we'll get to a couple of more picks here, and we'll even talk about a couple of Saturday games as part of Three Dog Thursday. The most famous one is my alma mater. FSU is your alma mater. Uh, in, in recent 2000s, Darius Washington as a freshman at Memphis against Louisville Conference Tournament on Memphis's home floor, FedEx Forum. Kevin, I was right there, press row, Conference USA Tournament, uh, 2005. Darius Washington fouled on the final play of the game, final play of the game in that instance, down by two, two to tie, three to go to the NCAA tournament. Memphis without an at-large case, really, needing the automatic bid. Washington makes the first of three free throws. The second make will tie it. The third will will put them in the NCAA tournament. Miss the second free throw. And I can tell you in that instance, uh, because it was a sold-out FedEx forum, the gasp that went throughout the place when he missed the second free throw because now it was a it was a realization of oh my god he could miss the third one and we lose and we're not in the NCAA tournament and Darius Washington's eyes got the size of dinner plates i was looking at him at the foul line and he almost didn't get the ball to the rim he almost shot at 14 feet instead of 15 feet to miss and then collapsed there at the foul line and John Calipari came out to console him and his teammates were stunned and came over and tried to hug him. And Louisville's running around the court celebrating. They won the conference tournament. They cut the nets down on Memphis's home floor. It was a crazy scene. It goes back to free throw shooting, is my point. Make the foul shots. And that was a weird one because there's no time left. There's nobody else at the foul line. All the eyes are on him. 
and he missed the last two to cost him in that instance. So free throw shooting, a big deal uh, when we head to March. All right, so we each have gone with an underdog to this point. You win American Conference. I went Pac-12. Give me another Thursday night underdog here on Three Dog Thursday. Who do you like and why, Kevin? I know this is an ugly dog, but sometimes you got to go there. I faded SMU earlier because they've been terrible recently. I'm fading Arizona here against Cal. Ooh. And Cal's won a Pac-12 game. Wait, wait, wait. That's Let fine. me look. Let me look at my sheet here. Let me look at my papers. I am trying to find a Cal Pac-10, or I'm sorry, Pac-12 win. I don't see a Cal Pac-12 win here. But you're back in the Cal Bears? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've covered in their last two road losses at Oregon and Oregon State as a double-digit dog. Now they're getting double digits again against Arizona. Arizona's 0-7, straight-up ATS their last seven. They actually got to a good start in conference play, but they've been, as I like to say, point spread poison over the last <laughs> few weeks. They've been terrible. They got they got blown out at home by Washington State as a double-digit favorite. Yep. And Cal, actually, if this doesn't mean anything, but I'm just throwing the stat out there, they've actually covered in their last three trips to Tucson. So Arizona may win this game, but uh, I'm not trusting them at all to cover. I just can't. I'm not going to back a team that's been this bad recently. And I'll take. I'll, I'll swallow. I'll, I'll, I'll take. I'll swallow the pill with Cal. Well, and Cal in their last two road appearances have also covered as double-digit underdogs. So there's a little feather in your cap there. And again, what has happened to Arizona with all the controversy off the court? Sean Miller's coaching staff. Uh, and is he in jeopardy? So we'll see. So Cal getting 13 and a half. All right, if, if the mighty one, if the senior handicapper Vegas insider gets that one, look out. We should make mention, I haven't mentioned it to this point, that uh, I hit with BYU last week, which means we've got four shows in a row with at least one, if not more. We've had some weeks where we've had two or three Thursday night underdogs. So pay attention to these as Cal is the significant underdog and Kevin goes with them um, in this one. All right, so speaking of late night, I, I looked at a couple of games uh, from earlier in the day, I'm not going to go UCF at Cincinnati, even though they're getting a significant amount of points. Uh, I know UCF beat my Memphis Tigers back on the weekend. That's a Thursday night matchup against the Bearcats in their new renovated arena. They're probably an NCAA tournament team on the fringe. Cincinnati, as Kevin was talking about earlier in the show, I'm going to stay away from Johnny Dawkins and the Golden Knights uh, of UCF, the Knights. I, I am instead going to go all the way out west with another West Coast underdog. This, In this case, not a... Um, Pac-12 one or a West Coast conference, but give me a Big West underdog. I will go with the the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors and UC Santa Barbara. Very interesting game. The Gauchos. Uh, Jim Rome might be smiling here about his Gauchos. He's a UC Santa Barbara guy. He talks about that all the time. Uh, whenever March comes around his show, his team is actually pretty good in that conference. Although Hawaii has been good, has been in the NCAA tournament in recent years. And the Hawaii Warriors getting three and a half in this game. Very interesting because uh, they uh, look, I mean, on the surface here, they lost the first matchup to Santa Barbara at home in Honolulu. So this is a revenge game for Hawaii going to Santa Barbara in this matchup, getting the three and a half points in Big West play. But Hawaii has now won three of their last four games. They've covered in those three wins in the last four games. Um, And this includes getting a couple of road wins earlier in the year, also coming to the mainland. They beat Northridge earlier in the year, Cal State Northridge earlier in the year. They also beat... um, the Anteaters of Cal State Irvine just playing all through the state of California. So now they went back home and won a couple of games. Uh, and now, uh, after winning those two home games, come back to California to play a road swing this weekend, Thursday night, Saturday. I will take late night, 8 o'clock primetime in the, in the West, 11 o'clock late night in the East, the Hawaii Warriors with the three and a half points against the Gauchos of Santa Barbara. Uh, in Big West play. And again, this is a pretty good game in that conference because they're two of the top teams. They'll be vying for the automatic bid. It's a one-bid league, obviously, but they'll be vying for that automatic bid in the one-bid league there out of the uh, out of the Big West conference coming on Wednesday evening. So we'll, 
We'll see what transpires uh, with those matchups, as in this case, uh, Santa Barbara 6-5 and five playing at home against 7-4 and four Hawaii in conference play. All right, so there are underdogs in that situation. Let's go to Saturday, where there are a couple of very interesting games. And again, we don't know how, at the time that we're taping, uh, that the Thursday night games are going to play out and affect Saturday. But Kevin Rogers, I'm anxious to see a couple of these games in particular that are going to be taking place in the top 25 Tennessee at LSU, for example. We're not sure, but it's likely that uh, along the same lines as we were talking earlier, LSU will probably be a short favorite with Tennessee in that game. Uh, you know, the Volunteers won midweek in an ugly game against uh, Wake Forest, but LSU probably favored at home at that game. We don't know for sure, right? But LSU probably favored in the matchup early Saturday? It's a tough one because Kentucky, what, closes a three-point what, three, three-and-a-half-point right. favorite against Tennessee last week, and Kentucky, to me, is better than LSU. So I got to believe that it's going to be a – could be one, one-and-a-half. Right. If Tennessee was a slight favorite, it wouldn't shock me that that's one where it really could go either way. And LSU, again, that huge win at Rupp Arena. Could they also beat Tennessee in this matchup, too? Uh, interesting that Duke – and Syracuse playing at Syracuse, the, the murderer's row of games continue there. Do we believe that that uh, the Cues will be the underdog even at home in the Carrier Dome where they expect to have 40,000 people at that game Saturday night? Likely Syracuse is the underdog. We don't have the lines in front of us, Kevin. What do you think? Yeah, I got to believe so. Duke was laying 17 the first time to Syracuse, even though Syracuse beat them at Cameron earlier in the season, and Duke is laying 8.5. You know, they were an 8.5-point favorite against North Carolina. So I, I just got to believe that, yes, that, that Duke is definitely going to be favored at the Carrier Dome against Syracuse. And Kansas at Texas Tech, also primetime game Saturday night, where Kansas won the earlier matchup at Fall Gallon. Now this one at Lubbock. And again, the three-way tie at the top with Kansas State, Kansas, Texas Tech, all battling for the Big 12 regular season. That's going to be a fantastic game. I'm curious if Texas Tech will likely be a short favorite in that one, you would think, as the home team, right, with these these teams tied at the top. Absolutely. I mean, you think about it, Kansas has been an underdog to Kansas State. They've been an underdog to Iowa State. They're an underdog to TCU, and they finally broke through and won that game in overtime. So i got to believe that Texas Tech is definitely favored at home. I am definitely looking at Kansas there in that matchup. Everybody wants to count them out. They're going to come on strong like like a strong – a racehorse around the final turn or a sprinter going through the kick, let's say, in the final uh, 100 meters of a 400-meter race. Look out for Kansas in the stretch run of the Big 12 and the Big 12 tournament to make some noise, including that game with Texas Tech. All right, so there you go with some different uh, underdogs. And, Kevin, as always, they can find out much more of the information. Great time of the year with all the college basketball. I know the NBA is now getting back into action after the All-Star break and much more at VegasInsider.com, sir. Absolutely. We're almost done with February, and now the NBA is back, thankfully, after that uh, week-long All-Star break. So we had NBA action, NHL continues to roll on, and uh, the college basketball. Yeah, we get through the next few weeks of college basketball, and then we will transition into the conference tournaments, which is always a very busy time, and it's a fun time. And then after the conference tournaments, we will know who's going to be the NCAA tournament. So you can fill out those brackets and get set for the big dance, still a lot going on again as i like to say in spite of no football you still can find plenty of things to bet on if it's basketball college or nba if it's hockey and baseball's getting started too with spring training uh, up ahead and then the regular seasons you have all of that coming up you can check it all out at vegasinsider.com no doubt. And again, you can follow them at TwitVI. Great source of information throughout the day, throughout the night on their social media. Follow Kevin Rogers at VI Rogers, whether he's tweeting about sports or movies uh, or the different stuff that he's got going on. What about uh, little Mr. Vegas Insider uh, this time of year? I know the Florida State Seminoles looking good. Do we have him sporting the gear and watching any of the college hoops with dad? Or is he still all about the Disney Junior and the Legos and that kind of stuff at the moment? He's not as much into it, no? Well, he's watching more PBS stuff. You know, he's really into Sesame Street and, <laughs> and things like that. But uh, I'm not into the whole – and I'll put on sporting events and he'll watch them. I'm not into the whole, oh, you're going to go to Florida State because I did. I'm not into all that. that I, I understand. Like that to me, just, that, that's not 
I don't like the whole where people like force their kids to wear all their gear just because. Like, if he wants to go, he just, he just can't go to Florida. That, that's it. But he can go wherever. Uh, perfect he wants. example. I've got a great friend of mine who is a humongous Dukey. He graduated from from Duke. He has a recent newborn, and it was for the Wednesday night game that we already referenced with Carolina for this Syracuse game. He's putting the little guy in a Duke onesie as a good luck charm right now for Duke headed to March. The little guy's like a month old. He doesn't know Duke from the bottom right now he just wants the bottle uh give me give me a little nourishment that's it but he's got the onesie on and he's the good luck charm he's like the family mascot right now for duke so i love that uh kevin great stuff as always again you'll go with yukon and cal on thursday night yukon at smu an american conference play cal at arizona my god i'm gonna shake your hand when i see you again if you get cal as a winless pac-12 team to cover at arizona i know you love the, the ton of points in that game uh here for three dog thursday good luck with those underdogs and uh we're going to do the final february show next week here on the program it will be march before we know it i'm looking forward to it kevin rogers yes tj and it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun and uh yeah we'll see if we can get these right this week yeah we're going to go for those underdogs again i've got oregon thursday night pack 12 underdog hawaii thursday night as well and let's see what happens with those saturday games duke syracuse kansas texas tech in some of these matchups tennessee lsu is a good one uh, Florida State, North Carolina, we didn't make reference to. Going to be a lot of great games for Saturday. Look out for the Knowles at North Carolina in ACC play on Saturday afternoon. A lot of fun talking all of these underdogs. Thanks also to Matt Zimmick as well, talking free throw awareness. You can read Matt Zimmick at cbbtoday.com, the college basketball web- website at cbbtoday.com. Again, follow this show at Three Dog Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Again, thanks to our uh, partners at RadioInfluence.com for promoting the show as always, but subscribe to it via those podcast outlets wherever podcasts are found. Also, subscribe to the Three Dog Thursday Morning Minute on Alexa and find out more uh, about Three Dog Thursday all through the week and some of the underdog picks that I have throughout the week. That'll do it here for this edition of the program as we rock on to the end of February. Enjoy the college hoops, and we'll see what happens with the underdogs here as part of Three Dog Thursday. For Kevin Rogers, I'm TJ Reeves. Enjoy the games. Bye. This is a Rush the Field Quick Fix on Radio Influence. I want to start this week's episode with a viral video that I saw across social media this week. And it was a video of Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence playing intramural basketball. And we've seen these videos before of these kids playing basketball, especially the Clemson football team. They have a re- they're really good at basketball. But in this particular video, a kid on the opposing team sets a screen on Trevor Lawrence. And the quarterback took exception to this, shoves the kid out of the way. There's a little tussle. They all get together on the court. No fighting. But it was clear that Trevor Lawrence took exception to a hard screen. You know, a nice pick like you would do in the schoolyard playing basketball. And if I'm Dabo Swinney and I see this video, I'm finding out who that kid is. And I'm making sure he goes nowhere near my quarterback, Chris. This was a little concerning to me. Well, here's the thing about it. Um, these are kids. They're very competitive. And when they're, when they're not, uh, we, we think that uh, they should be busy enough with school uh, and off-season conditioning. But a lot of them do like to play basketball. Pick up basketball, as we know, is big. Everybody likes to play hoops forever and a day. I've known football players to play basketball and pick up games. Now, when you do that, you know that you're going to have frat boy here and student body boy there that's going to love to go up against, you know, said athlete and and love to kind of test their wares. Hey, you know, I'm as tough as you and yada, yada, yada. And so you see that. So not only do you subject yourself when you're going to play in these type of games to the potential of, hey, look, you could just get injured doing anything. But you're going to have some unnecessary shots. Rush the Field with Scott Seidenberg and Chris Leadry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.